Praise the Lord. Brother, I can't not think of a better song to sing tonight for what we're going to be speaking on. I'm talking tonight about the power of the gospel. And if you will, please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Now, I'm thankful tonight. I praise the Lord tonight for the great privilege and opportunity of sharing with you a message that will absolutely change your eternity. Man, there's power in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some of you already know that. Some of you already realize that you've trusted in the gospel by faith. And listen, the gospel has changed you. It's changed your eternity. But I, and, and that's a good thing. But I don't want you to just think about what the gospel will do later. I want you to think about what the gospel does now. I know the gospel has gotten me ready for the sweet by and by. I know that when I leave this walk of life, as I've told you many times before, my last breath on earth will be followed by my first breath in heaven because I've trusted in Jesus and his finished work. Um, and so I'm thankful for that. I'm ready for the sweet by and by, but let me tell you what else the gospel does. The gospel also gets you by in the nasty now and now. Amen. In the world that we're living in right now, I'm talking about when you go to the grocery store tomorrow, you go to work tomorrow, you interact with people tomorrow, and whatever that looks like, the gospel helps us through that. It's not just something that is going to happen, but something that is happening. It changes our lives, not only now, but also throughout all eternity, and so I'm so thankful for that. The gospel changes everything. There's no doubt about it. So the first thing that I want us to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in the first verse, is the sharing of the gospel. Now look what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 1. Watch how he puts this. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, but which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Now Paul says... This message that I preach to you, the gospel, is what you have received and it, it became the salvation for your souls. It saved you. And that's an amazing thing. Never, ever, ever let the gospel become commonplace to you. Folks, I want you to know, this is the power of God unto salvation. Can you say amen? If not for the gospel, then we have no hope. If not for the gospel, then we are condemned to a devil's hell. If not for the gospel, then we can never be in this life what God wants us to be. We can never have in this life what God has promised us, which is the abundant life through the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to understand um, the gospel is truly life-changing in every way. Now, Paul says, this is the message I'm sharing to you. This is the message that I'm preaching to you. Now, how many of you can tell me tonight what the gospel is? What does the gospel mean? Well, if you look up the, the Greek word that's used here for gospel, it just simply means good news. Over 90 times throughout the New Testament, you're going to see the word gospel used. And so you see the gospel, the good news. Everybody say good news. You see this good news being preached everywhere to everybody all throughout all of the New Testament. And that's such a, an amazing thing. This is good news. It's good news for each and every one of us, regardless of your race, color, kindred, or tongue, regardless of where you're from, the gospel is good news for you and for me, for all of us. Now, let me, let me say something to you folks. We live in a world that's filled to the brim with bad news. <laughs> I mean, I see it everywhere, and I know you do too. If you don't believe me, I want to challenge you to do something tonight. Go home this evening 
and turn on one of the many 24-hour news channels and just see that, uh, all the bad news that, that, that's on there. It, it's wall-to-wall bad news for several different reasons. Two of them are that if they can uh, put bad news, they know you'll watch it. It draws us in. <laughs> bad news sells. And they're trying to do everything they can to keep you hooked in to all the bad that's going on. Bad news is everywhere, and they know you'll keep watching it, and they know you'll keep worrying about it, and so they're going to keep sharing all the bad news they can share. But there's also another reason, a legitimate reason, that the bad news is on the television and in your newspaper, because that's what this world's all about. How do you understand? We live in a fallen creation. We live in a world marred by sin, and because of that, there's going to be bad news. That's just how it is. That's where we live. That's how this world operates. Bad news. Now, I am so very thankful tonight that I've got the privilege of sharing good news. I love to tell good news. I love to hear good news. Listen, I love to speak news that's going to bring a smile to people's face and peace in their heart. I like to give good news that's really going to make a difference in people's lives. And that's what this gospel is. This good news in a world full of bad news. So if that's true and it's good news, then we need to be telling it, don't we? We need to be sharing it. As a matter of fact, right here in this body of believers, in the ministries that we have here at Mount Zion Baptist Church, everything must find its foundation in the sharing of the good news. In everything we do. Listen to me, folks. We need to be shouting this message from the rooftop across the street and around the world to every man, woman, boy, and girl that the Lord opens the door for us to share it with. If it's really good news... Let's tell it. Let's spread it. Let's get about the business that we were saved to be about, and let's start sharing with people the good news. I'm talking about loved ones. I'm talking about family members. Listen to me now. I'm talking about your workmates and your classmates. I'm talking about the lady at the grocery store, the convenience store. I'm talking about them folks at the ball game. I'm talking about people that God divinely appoints you to be around day by day, and he opens those doors. Pray for that. Pray for open doors. Lord, give me somebody that I can help today. Give me some. I've been praying that in the new year, and I have absolutely been amazed at what God has done already. I've got to pray with somebody outside of a convenience store yesterday morning. I got to pray with the dude at the gym uh, last, uh, last uh, it was Monday, and I've just seen God already start moving and work. I got to pray with somebody in the truck yesterday at the workplace. You know how it happened? People just start asking questions. Ask, I got to pray with somebody for service tonight. I started praying for God to open doors so that I might make a difference in somebody's life. Guess what? He's answering that. He's opening those doors. Start praying that God would open doors with the people that are in your life, in your sphere of influence, so that you might be able to tell this good news. It's good news. It's life-changing news. If it's good, we ought to share it. So Paul says, I've been sharing this good news with you. I've been preaching this gospel message to you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34, if you remember, he's talking to his disciples about uh, the problem of worry. We, uh, I preached a message to you on this uh, three or four weeks ago. But Jesus said, don't worry about what tomorrow is going to happen tomorrow. 
there's enough evil today that you don't have to worry about tomorrow. He's telling us this world is full of bad news. I'm glad we get to be the light of life in a world full of darkness and preach a message that's good, that's life-changing. I heard a story one time about a man named Albert Level. He lived back in the 1940s. He was actually a seminary professor. And his neighbor across the street, her son was drafted in the army and he was sent off to fight in World War II. He had been gone about a year and that mother received a letter that no mama wants to receive. She received the letter, the news, that her son had been killed in action. I can't imagine what that mother was going through, what that family was going through. Never lost a child, but I've loved one. And so I can only imagine how that ripped their heart out. And then about three months later, the um. Uh, the Army, the, the Department of Defense, whoever sends those letters out, found out they made a mistake. This young man hadn't been killed. Matter of fact, he was perfectly fine. Hadn't even seen any action yet. And so they send the letter back, and Dr. Um, Dr. Uh, Level was asked to bring this letter to her. And so he brings the letter to this mama who thought her son was dead. And this is what he said. He said, I have never saw a more pure expression of joy than when I delivered the good news that her son was alive. Can't you imagine? What that was like to hear the son she had loved and grieved over was now alive and well and headed home. It's amazing. That's good news, folks. I want to tell you something, though. The good news we have is even better news than that. It really is. Now, that's fantastic that that mama got to spend more time with her baby. But I'm going to tell you something. That was just impacting the here and now. Today and tomorrow and the, and the morrow and years to come. The news we have not only impacts now, but eternity. And it changes lives for the better. Praise God for that. I'm thankful for the good news. Paul said, this is the gospel message, the good news that I'm sharing to you. If it's good news, we ought to share it. Not only, don't, not only do I want you to see the sharing of the gospel, but I also want you to see the source of the gospel. Look at verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul says. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and then he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. So he tells us, he says, look, the gospel message is this. It was because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, our sin problem can be taken care of. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I hear a lot of people today talking about the gospel. But the message I hear them preach is not the message I see from Paul right here. There's a whole lot of different things being called the gospel today that's not the gospel at all. They speak it as though it's the gospel. But the truth is, they're not telling the whole story. I see it all the time. I hear it all the time. So I am so very thankful this evening that the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the church at Corinth and said, Look, this is the gospel message. This is the good news that's going to change the world. 
And I'm glad by the living word of God, we too get this message this evening. So he says, this is the gospel message. And what is it? It's that, listen to me now, Christ, first of all, died for our sins. Look what it says there in verse number, number three. For I delivered you unto first that, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. If you believe it, say amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Christ died for our sins. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 8, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Now, I want you to, I want to share something with you. You do know that Christ is not a last name. We know Jesus, or in the Hebrew, Yeshua, is the first name of the Son of God and God the Son. Amen? But Christ is not the last name. I think sometimes we might think that. No, no. Christ is a title given. It's a term used to show who he is. Now, Christ in the Greek equals Messiah in the Hebrew. And I say that because, listen, the Messiah was prophesied all the way back starting in the book of Genesis, all the way up till the time that Jesus came. There was a prophecy that said the Messiah would come. Now the Messiah in the, the Hebrew, it equals deliverer. So what God was saying all throughout the Old Testament is that I'm going to send you a deliverer. Amen. We, if you remember, we talked a whole lot about the fulfilled prophecies of Jesus um, a few weeks ago in his first coming, you know, when we was doing our Easter messages. And, and listen to me, folks. There was a lot of them, and we looked at several of them. Didn't look at all of them. There's about 300 prophecies, 300 separate prophecies concerning what happened when Jesus came the first time. Have you ever been reading throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see, so that Scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus did this so that Scripture might be fulfilled. Jesus did this so that Scripture might be fulfilled. He did this so that Scripture might be fulfilled. So what all of that is saying is that Jesus was doing all that He was doing, first and foremost, because He was the Son of God and God the Son, and He was proving it in His actions. But it was also proving by prophecy exactly who He was. It was being a fulfillment of all God said that was going to take place in the Messiah, in the Deliverer, in Christ. Well, if Jesus, the Christ, the Deliverer came, that must mean He came to Deliver us from something, right? Never ever miss the practicality of the gospel. You say, brother, what are you talking about? The practi I'm talking about the gospel does something. It's very practical. It, it fulfills a need that we all have. The Bible says the Christ came to deliver us, to die for our sins. We must remember that it wasn't just for certain ones that Jesus died, but for everyone Jesus died. 
The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He gave him as a ransom for many, the book of Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 2 and 8, I believe it is, says that he tasted death for every man. Not some men, not most men, all men. The book of 2 Peter says, it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What I'm trying to say to you is this. Jesus died for our sin. Not just mine, not just yours, not just the people we like. Not just the people we can stomach. Heard a man say the other day that he just can't stomach a certain action of a certain individual. Well, I'm glad God didn't feel that way about me. Right? Can, can we all, could we all take an inventory of our lives and man, I am so glad God did not feel that way about me because if he did, then I have no hope. He died for our sin. All of it. Not some of it, not most of it. So every man, woman, boy, and girl, regardless of who they are, what they've done, what they are doing right now, Every one of them that you look in the eye of tomorrow is a person Jesus died for. If we really get a hold of that, that'll change how we live tomorrow. Won't it? Do you know every person deserves a certain amount of respect? I don't care who they are. I don't care if you agree with them. I don't care if you like them. They deserve a certain amount of respect because that's somebody Jesus died for. We've got to remember that, folks. I never, ever, ever want us to be a people who sit up on our high horse and look down at everybody else and say, man, what a bunch of sinners. We're all a bunch of sinners. I'm looking at a bunch of sinners. And you're looking at one too. Now, I've got some good news. I'm a sinner that's been saved by grace. And because I've been saved by grace, I'm now considered a son. And if you've been saved by grace, you too are considered a son or a daughter. And if you hadn't been saved by grace, why not? He died for you. This gift is available to you. He died for our sins. I don't think there's anybody that can at least truthfully say they're not a sinner if they're honest. The Bible says Romans 3 and verse number 23, for all have sinned and what? Falling short of the glory of God. That's everybody. I don't care who you are. I, we talked a lot about this Sunday, how that God has given us a lot of things we should do and a lot of things we shouldn't do. He's commanded us some things that we, we need to do and some things we, he don't want us to do. We, he told us not to lie, but we've all told a lie. He told us not to, not to steal, but we're all stealers. Every one of us. 
We've taken something that don't belong to us, whether it's an answer on a test or something from work, a pen from the bank, bubble gum from the, va- or from the, from the gro- grocery store, the convenience store, your neighbor's, neighbor's shovel that you borrowed and never took back. You say, brother, that's a little bitty stuff. Well, it also causes a great big problem. Because God is perfect and his law is perfect. You say, brother, I might be a sinner, but I'm a little sinner. Ain't no such thing. Let me tell you why. James chapter 2. Watch this now. James chapter 2. And look at verse number 10. Watch what the Bible says. James 2 and 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, what's it say? Guilty of it all. So guess what that means? If I've told a lie but I've kept all other commandments, which is not true, it's impossible. Uh, see, I think the truth is we've broken all of them. He said, brother, I ain't never killed nobody. Well, you don't know how high God's standard is. Because God's standard is so high, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 15, that he sees hatred as murder. You say, brother, I may, I may, I may be true, but I've never committed adultery. I've never cheated on my husband or cheated on my wife. Let me tell you something. The Bible says, Jesus said, his standard is so high that if you even look upon the opposite sex with lust in your heart, it's like committing the act. You know what that makes us? A bunch of lying, thieving, adulterous, fornicators. Sinners. Guess what we need? Deliverance. Deliverance. Because we've all broken God's law. You say, brother, I might have broken it before, but I'm going to straighten up and fly right and I ain't going to break it again. Well, what about what you've already done? That's already on your account. Even if you could start now and live perfectly forevermore, I'm going to tell you, which is impossible. We know that if you're honest with yourself. But you still got to think about what happened in the past. You still become guilty before God who is holy and requires perfection for you to be a part of his kingdom and a part of his family. Do you see your need for deliverance? Now, the good news, the gospel message, is God sent us a deliverer who could help us, who could fix our mess. Jesus, who is the Christ, came to die for our sins. Now, why was Jesus good enough? Well, I'll tell you why. He was born perfect. He wasn't born of the seed of man. He was born of God himself, so he wasn't born into sin. Because he was born perfect, he was able to live perfect. He kept all the law. He was a fulfillment of the law. There was no deceit in his mouth. You know, Jesus is the only person who never told one white lie and never had an evil thought towards someone else. Think about that. He lived for 33 and a half years absolutely perfect because he was God in the flesh. He was made in the likeness of sinful flesh so that he might take care of the sin problems of sinful flesh. Amen. Now then, 
the one who was born perfect and lived perfect, then he went to a cross and took our punishment. And God said, that's enough. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, God's righteousness has been satisfied. His righteousness, as far as the law is concerned, was satisfied through the birth and life of Christ. And his punishment against sin was, was satisfied because of the death of Christ. You get it? Now God who is holy can show his love to sinners. How? Through the cross. You know God loves you this much. This much. He died for our sin. Praise God. Without it, we have no hope. Without it, we're condemned. Without it, we can't be forgiven. The Bible says, where there is no shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. And Jesus' blood, His perfect, righteous blood was shed for each and every one of us. He died for us. He was delivered for us. Now, not only did He die, but He rose again. Look at verse number 4. And that He was buried and He rose again the third day. Death couldn't hold Him. The grave couldn't keep Him. He conquered Sin, death, hell, and the grave through the resurrection. Now, I think what happens a lot of times, we always want to talk about the cross, and rightly so. Rightly so. I, I love preaching about the cross, talking about what God's done for us. Matter of fact, I, I think a, a message, um, a pro plan, program, whatever we're doing as far as ministry is concerned, if it don't concern uh, the preaching of the cross, then it's not don't have any power in it. It's no good in it. Amen. If you're teaching a class, you better you need to be talking about the cross. Work that in. Hey, if you're preaching a message, talk about the cross. Work that in. In living your life, live at the foot of the cross. Live that out. Amen. It's important. We've got to keep that the focal pass. Now, but now, listen, a lot of times we get so fired up about preaching about the cross and the shedding of the blood and what Christ has done for us at the cross that we forget about the resurrection and we only share about it on Easter. We get one message a year about the resurrection. When without the resurrection, the cross means nothing. We'll see that as we go on into 1 Corinthians 15. Without the preaching of the cross, then we, we have no hope. And Paul said, or excuse me, without the preaching of the resurrection, then we have no hope. We're of most, all men most miserable, he goes on to say. It takes the resurrection for the salvation, uh, uh, sal salvation plan, the, the redemption of all mankind, to be complete. If Jesus is still in the grave, then our sins can't be forgiven. The Bible says he was raised again for our justification. To make us right before the Lord. Now you say, Brother, how do you know that Jesus is the Christ? Well, look what it says. Look in verse 3 and in verse 4. At the last part of these verses, watch what it tells us. For I deliver to you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. Everybody read it with me. According to the scriptures. Verse 4. And that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to 
the scriptures. Now what scriptures is he talking about? He's not talking about New Testament scriptures because at this moment Paul is writing the New Testament scriptures. At this moment there were no New Testament scriptures. He's talking about Old Testament scriptures that prophesied about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He said, brother, where's that at? Well, I'm glad you asked. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53, verses 5 through 12. Brother, if you will, please put this on the, on the screen for me. 700 years before Christ came on the scene, Isaiah wrote this. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before shears is dumb. So he opens not his mouth. Look at verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He died is what it says. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. For our sins he died. Let's go on. Verse 9. And made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, the perfect sacrifice, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Perfect and holy. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. If there's one scripture that absolutely blows my mind, no matter how, time, how many times I read it, it's that right there. And if you're a parent, you ought to understand what I'm talking about. The Bible says it pleased the Lord, meaning God the Father. When you see Lord, that means Yahweh. Amen? It pleased God the Father, Yahweh, the I am, the great I am, the I am that I am, like, like he told Moses. It pleased the father to bruise his son. How much does God the father love you and love me if it pleased him to bruise his son on our behalf? Because it was for our iniquities he died. My sin, my transgressions, he was wounded. Do you see it? I don't think we have even an inkling of the depth of the love of God. It pleased the Lord. Folks, I love you. I do. As your pastor, I love you. I want to be there for you. I want to help you in any way I can possibly help you. I want to pray for you. I want to do what I can. Let me know what I can do. I want to help you. But now listen, even though I love you in Christ, there's not a one of you that I could punish my daughter, either one of them, or my son on a cross for. I couldn't do it. But that's what God did for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He hath put him to grief. When, I, when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord excuse me, shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant, servant justify many, praise the Lord, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for transgressors. So the Bible prophesied 700 years before it take, took place that this is the one who would die. Not only did the Bible prophesy about the death of Jesus, but also about the resurrection. Psalm 16, verses 9 through 10. Look at this prophecy. All the way back in the book of Psalms, look what it says. Psalm 16, verse number 9. Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. Look at verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. Who's the holy one? The Messiah. The Christ. Jesus. To see corruption. How many of you know death is corruption? Jesus conquered death. Sin is corruption. Jesus conquered sin. The grave speaks of corruption. Jesus conquered the grave. Hell surely is corruption. Jesus conquered hell. And he did all of it through the resurrection. So listen to me. According to the scriptures, according to prophecy, Jesus is the Christ because he's the one who died for sin. He's the one who conquered the grave. Are you getting me? Well, Brother Israel, how do we know Jesus conquered the grave? I'm so glad you asked. Not only was it prophecy, but it was also proven. It was proven in many different ways. Dr. Gary Habermas, I believe, is the leading authority on the teaching of the resurrection. If you're looking for someone um, to, uh, to read concerning the resurrection, look up Dr. Gary Habermas. That dude is fantastic. Um, Dr. Habermas said, there, that, and he gives a list of a whole lot of different um, proofs that he believe, why he believes the resurrection is true. See, how many of you know, our faith is not a leap in the dark, folks. It's not. It's based upon evidence and eyewitness accounts. Dr. Habermas said one of the greatest, the greatest evidence for him was the attitude of the disciples, the boldness of the disciples prior to the resurrection and then after the resurrection. So let's look at that just a moment before we go any further. This is proof that Jesus conquered the grave. If you want to go back, and we're not going to look at it tonight, but I want you to go back and see it for yourself. John chapter 20, verse number 19. The Bible says, after Jesus was crucified, that the disciples locked themselves in the upper room. As a matter of fact, in John 20 and 19, the Bible says they went in, shut the door, um, made sure that the, those who had just crucified Jesus wouldn't come and crucify them. They said, it says that actually in John 20, 19, that they did this for fear of the Jews. Now, while they were in, locked up in the upper room, the Bible says that the Marys went to um, the tomb of Jesus to anoint the body. They were actually going and doing what was necessary while the men were crouching in fear in the upper room. That's another way, reason why I believe the Bible to be true. It don't just tell you the good parts. If these men who wrote it, now remember, John was one of the disciples. And so what John is saying is, while the ladies went out to see to the body of Jesus, we who were supposed to be his closest friends and disciples, we were hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews. Now, if it was a lie, if I'd have been John, I'd have lied about that. 
He went down in history for at that time being a coward. So did the rest of the disciples. They were so scared, they were locked up in the upper room. The Bible says Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them. Now, how many of you are thankful tonight that Jesus is not hindered by matter, time, or space in his resurrected body? Every time I think about that, it gets me excited. Because the Bible says one day I'm going to be just as he is. What does that mean? Think about it. I'm not going to be hindered by matter, space, or time. I'm not going to be hindered by matter, space, and you ain't either if you're a believer. You too will have a body just like he is. That's amazing. That's what happened there in the upper room. Now, fast forward till after the resurrection, 40 days after that was the day of Pentecost. Now, after the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit came and indwelled believers there, the church was born. You have a story in Acts chapter number 3 about how John and Peter were there at the gates of the temple and there was a blind, or excuse me, a lame man who couldn't walk. It was a blind man. I can't remember let me just go over and look, because I won't tell you wrong. Acts chapter uh, number 3, the Bible says in um, the hearing of the lame man, excuse me, this man couldn't walk. And so he comes to Peter and to John, and he says to them, um, ask them for alms or for money. And so Peter looks at him and he says, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I give to thee in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Stand up and walk. And guess what happened? The man stands up and walk. Now, when that takes place, when that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the faithfulness of the people of God, you know that's how things happen? The power of the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of the people of God. You know how lives are changed? The power of the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of the people of God. You know how churches grow? The power of the Holy Spirit and the faithfulness of the people of God. When that took place there in Acts chapter 3, the whole thing exploded. I mean, everybody was fired up. Y'all ain't going to believe what happened at the gate. Y'all remember the dude that's laid there all these years that couldn't walk? He got healed today, and the ones that done it was the followers of that Jesus guy. And so everybody won't know who that Jesus guy was. And guess what they did? They started preaching Jesus. They started sharing the message of the gospel all throughout Acts chapter number 3, telling them about who Jesus is. Now, when that took place, everybody was gathering around wanting to hear it. And the Bible says there in Acts chapter 4, watch with me. And as they spake, verse number 1, unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now look down at verse number 6. And Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Now this is important. Now look, these same people that are mentioned will sound familiar. You remember Caiaphas, don't you? Y'all remember who Caiaphas was? Was he not the one who brought the charges to Jesus of blasphemy? Remember it? Was he not the one who told 
the soldiers of the temple to bring Jesus to Herod and to Pilate. Pilate, then Herod, then back to Pilate. It was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the man who had the power to put Jesus on the cross. This was the dude they were locked up in fear of. And now they're standing right before him. And these people who crucified Jesus are mad at them because they're still preaching Jesus. Goodness gracious, I thought we killed him. I thought it was done, but it wasn't done. It still ain't done. We'll never be done. Are you getting me? Now watch. Verse number seven. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you have crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doeth this man stand but him here before you whole. What are they doing? They're preaching the gospel, brothers and sisters. And they're doing it with great boldness. Let me tell you how I know it. Let's read on down. Verse 11. This is the stone which was set at naught, new builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Verse 13. Now when they, who are the theys? Caiaphas and Alexander and all those other guys that were mentioned before. The same ones who had just previously convicted and brought Jesus to Pilate and had him crucified. The same ones who incited the crowd to rise and say crucify him crucify him the same ones this is what they say watch now in verse number 13 now when they saw the boldness everybody say boldness boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus I cannot think of a greater compliment than that when I go to work tomorrow I want to walk up in there and I want the joy of the Lord to be so evident in my life. that says, man, something different. That, that dude had to have been with Jesus. When I speak truth in love, I want them to say, God, man, something's different. That, that dude had to have been with Jesus. When you walk through this life in tribulations and trials and temptations by the power of God, when we overcome. You know what I think they can say? Man, that dude's got to be with Jesus. Don't you want that? Don't you know you can have that? Let me tell you how you get it. Spend time with him. Isn't that what they said? We can tell they have been with Jesus. You know you can be with Jesus just like John and Peter through the ministry and the power and person of the Holy Spirit, you can walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and learn of Jesus and serve Jesus and know Jesus. Do not squander your opportunity to spend time with Him. I'm going to tell you something. I spent time with Him Tuesday morning and it rocked my world. I don't even know how it happened. I, don't even know. I really don't. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really have been planning on, on, on doing what it... It's just like God arrested me. You know what I'm talking about? I stopped to, to type a message to a brother in Christ. And in the middle of that, I just got happy and had church right there in the truck all by myself. 
And I believe I heard from the Lord Tuesday morning. I really do. And I'm still excited about it. It's awesome being with Jesus. Hunger for that. Ask for that. Lord, I need some time spent with you. Please, I want you to manifest yourself to me. Lord, let me see who you are. Show me what I need to know. God, I, I want to hear from you today. I want to be used by you today. Ask him. Ask him. Ask him. Now look. Then they say, verse number 18, and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God judge ye, for you cannot but, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they heard, had further threatened them, and they let them go, finding nothing, they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years on which the miracle of healing was performed. Now, how did they go from locking themselves up in the room and letting the women go out and do what needed to be done? How did they go from that, being afraid of these guys who had the power to crucify them, to stand them before them and say, you know what, i tell you what. Y'all do what you think you need to do. That's all right. You do what you think you need to do. But what we're going to keep doing, we're not going to listen to what you just said. Because you threatened us. You said what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. We get all that. But guess what? We cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. And every one of them, all the apostles died a martyr's death except one. And it's amazing that John didn't because he was boiled in oil. Do you know that? John is the only one who died of a natural cause, but it happened after he was boiled in oil. Boiled in oil. Y'all may not understand that. <laughs> Y'all probably will, but if anybody's watching from some, I know there's one dude that always talks about watching from Michigan. He didn't understand a word of that. Right? I'm just saying. He survived. Went to the Isle of Patmos, wrote the book of Revelation, then later died of natural. He's the only one. All the rest of them were martyred. That means they just kept sharing that truth, even though people threatened to kill them and finally did. But they never recanted. People will not live for what they know to be a lie. Now, they may, they may live for and die for what they believe to be true, but if they know it to be alive. They ain't going to live for it, and they ain't sure ain't going to die for it. They won't. The boldness of the disciples, but also the eyewitness accounts of the people. Right here, Paul says, you know what? He was seen of all the apostles, the, the original 12, but he was also seen um, of 500 people. If you do the math, and you, let's just say, Paul then goes on to say, you know what? Some of them are even alive now. If you don't believe me, go ask them. That's really what he's talking about. They're even alive up till now. See, this, this book of 1 Corinthians was written probably in A.D. 53. All right? Somewhere around in there. So about 20 years, give or take, after the death and resurrection, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So he says, there's some people still walking around who seen him that day that I'm talking about, when he was seen of those 500 people. See, Jesus ministered in the community and unto his disciples 40 days after he was resurrected until the time he ascended back to the Father. A lot of people saw him. The Bible says above 500. There are biblical, biblical accounts of that, but also secular accounts. 
We have Roman and Jewish historians who have recorded that Jesus was worshipped as God. Why was he worshipped as God? Because he resurrected from the grave. That's not just Christians who said that. Eyewitness accounts saw it and wrote about it. That's what we have right here. If you just took these 500, let's just say we could talk to all of them, and we said, all right, guys, you got 15 minutes to tell us all that you saw when Jesus, after you knew he was resurrected. Tell us what you saw. Well, we would have 125 hours of eyewitness testimony concerning the resurrection of Christ. Prophecy and eyewitness accounts prove that Jesus conquered the grave. You need to see the sharing of the gospel the source of the gospel. It's the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But you've also got to see the saving of the gospel. Watch what it says here. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's look up at about verse number 2 again. By which also ye are, everybody say it. How are we saved? If you keep in memory what I preached in you unless you believed in vain. We are saved. By grace, through faith in the gospel. Faith plus nothing equals salvation. A lot of people say, well, now, Brother Israel, I'll tell you, got to be faith, but there's got to be works. Well, I'll say this. True faith always produces works. It'll never produce perfection because we're all still growing. But true faith will produce works. However, works are not salvific because works is something you can do. If you could deliver yourself through your works, we didn't need a deliverer. Your works by itself will never be good enough. What you need is faith, then that faith will produce good works. Amen? By which also you are saved. The gospel is still saving souls. Let's go tell it. Let's go preach it. Let's go share it. Let's pray for opportunities to do so. Amen? Any comments or questions?